Everyone carried the ability to achieve insight into the true and the good by applying his mental faculties to the world around him. Not books, but experience was the best guide. In other words, Witherspoon was Aristotelian, not Platonic, with a vengeance, and he believed that the common man could participate in government along with the aristocrat. Witherspoon taught, as a Presbyterian minister could be expected to do, that man was self-centered and not to be trusted. Among other sources for this teaching was the Scottish philosopher David Hume, with whom Witherspoon was not uniformly in tune. Famously, Madison would turn Hume's teaching to good account in Federalist No. 10, and indeed throughout his career. We can find many points of similarity between Witherspoon's beliefs and Madison's, but Madison clearly was not an undiscriminating student. For example, Witherspoon held state support of Christianity to be essential to the health of society and of Christianity, while Madison ultimately rejected that idea with world-historic significance, as we shall see. Though he would later win acclaim for his learnedness, Madison was never a cold, calculating scholar. Rather, he always demonstrated an active sense of humor. Proof of this from his college days is provided by some poetry Madison contributed to an intramural dispute. Princeton students, it seems, had organized competing literary social clubs, the Whigs and the Cleosophians. Madison took the lead among Whigs in a doggerel war in 1771 through 1772, contributing several poems to the ongoing conflict. The editors of Madison's papers inferred that the Whigs were the socially elite group, while their rivals' backgrounds often formed the grist for Whig mockery. Among the choicest bits was this. Keep up your minds to humorous themes and verdant meads and flowing streams until this tribe of dunces find the baseness of their groveling mind and skulk within their dens together where each one's stench will kill his brother in light of which you can only imagine how Homeric the quality of the rest must have been. But I will spare you. While at Princeton, Madison decided to study law on the side. He bought the books he thought he needed for that purpose and, in the fashion of those days, began to read them. Very few American legal scholars took classes in law at the time. Instead, they commonly read leading texts and apprenticed to individual members of the bar— Madison's course, then, was nothing unusual. Nor, I wager, was his experience. Madison's first flush of tepid enthusiasm, in December 1773, soon gave way before the reality of legal study, which he described in January 1774 as coarse and dry. Fortunately for him and for us, Madison seems to have abandoned his hobby almost instantly. In 1772, Madison entered upon a very interesting correspondence with one of his Princeton classmates, Philadelphia's William Bradford. Bradford, who one day would serve briefly as George Washington's attorney general, broached subjects philosophical and religious with Madison, and the Virginian responded in kind. At this point, Madison was still prone, in the fashion of his Princeton instructors, to religious speculations and philosophical diversions. For example, Madison wrote Bradford at one point that, 
although of course young men would be ambitious. Nevertheless, a watchful eye must be kept on ourselves, lest, while we are building ideal monuments of renown and bliss here, we neglect to have our names enrolled in the annals of heaven. Warming to the subject, Madison went on to say that, As to myself, I am too dull and infirm now to look out for any extraordinary things in this world, for I think my sensations for many months past have intimated to me not to expect a long or healthy life. Yet it may be better with me after some time, though I hardly dare expect it, and therefore have little spirit and alacrity to set about anything that is difficult in acquiring and useless in possessing, after one has exchanged time for eternity. Madison, aged twenty-one, went on to advise his pal not to be swayed by the allure of those impertinent fops that abound in every city to divert you.